40, I'll continue looking at the Gospel of John. In our text today, someone might ask this question, what led Jesus to be treated like this? What led him to be treated like a, a criminal? Why did they have to put him on trial? He was a perfect man, God-man, did nothing wrong, only did good things. And you might say, well, of course it was God's sovereign, predetermined plan from all eternity. And it was. But what was he accused of that put the Jewish leaders in such a panic? I mean, they were in a panic, in a frenzy. You know what it was? Truth. Truth. Listen, the world does not want to hear truth. And I'm not talking about it's going to rain tomorrow. That's truth, right? If we heard, well, no, it's not going to rain tomorrow. (laughs) It's going to be sunny tomorrow. That's truth. We heard the weather report. I'm not talking about that. We're talking about the truth of Scripture, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need to keep speaking and live in that truth. Turn me to John 18. We're going to look at 28 through 40. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. Hypocrites. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusations do you bring against this, this man? Excuse me. They answered, if this man were doing, not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom was of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I may not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Let's pray. Father, because of your loving kindness, we ask you, God, to open up our eyes to the truth of this passage. Help us not only to see what Christ went through on our behalf, but also how we are to live 
our lives in light of what the Savior went through. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Voice of the Martyr Magazine reports this. May 3rd, 2009 was a beautiful day on the lush island of Mindau in the Philippines. Jean Tonkua, pregnant with a fourth child, was doing laundry in a river near her home when she suddenly heard gunfire in a distance. Immediately thinking of her three young daughters, she began climbing the riverbank to return home. As she reached the top of a small cliff, she saw the source of the gunfire. Armed men shooting at everyone in sight. Dropping to her knees, she crawled backwards as bullets whizzed over her head. Then a bomb suddenly exploded nearby, hurling metal and debris into the air around her. A piece of sharpened, a piece of sharp nail struck Jean in the chest. By the time the attack ended, four people had been killed and six hospitalized, including Jean. Eighty houses, all belonging to Christians, were burned to the ground, leaving more than 200 homeless. Homes belonging to the Muslims left untouched. Why were the Christians targeted and not the Muslims? Truth. Truth. Why was Jesus brought to trial? Truth. Truth that his father sent him into the world to suffer, to die, to rise again from the dead, and proclaim the kingdom of God. Truth. And here's the challenge to you, the proposition. When you speak the truth of the gospel, persecution awaits you. Now I said truth of the gospel, not just a truth. In other words, you can say, as I said before, I just heard the weather report, it's going to be sunny and warm today. Well, that's true, but it's not going to get you persecuted. However, to a world full of God-haters, and it's increasingly becoming antichrist and God-haters, if you haven't noticed... But a world full of God-haters, you are not going to get a ticket-tape parade when you give them the truth of the gospel. There's three points I want to bring from this message, and I want you to hear them. The first point is truth may get you accused of evil. Point two is truth puts your accusers on trial. And point three, truth compels you to make a decision. Do you ever think about that? I'll, go, I'll talk about that a little later, but truth compels every one of us, whether we're a believer or not a believer, to make a decision. You can't stand on the fence or sit on the fence with truth. Point one, truth may get you accused of evil. Remember the last couple of times I spoke that Jesus was betrayed, arrested, interrogated by Annas, the high priest, with many of the Jewish leaders and the temple officers standing around and listening? He was struck by one of the officers because of the truthful answer Jesus gave Annas. They gave Jesus what we would call a theological trial or a religious trial. They questioned him on his theology. They questioned him on his followers. The other three Gospels tells us that after Annas questioned Jesus, he was brought to Caiaphas. John doesn't report that. He was the legal high priest, and they sent him to Caiaphas for further questioning. 
And Caiaphas says, Jesus, point blank, blank. Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus answered, I am. Well, that was enough to accuse Jesus of blasphemy and have the council there give their decision that Jesus deserved death. And they began to beat him and spit on him and mock him. And when morning came, they brought him before Pilate. Now, at this point, Jesus was probably badly bruised. He was probably swollen from the beatings. His clothes were probably tattered. You see, they finished their false religious trial and charged them falsely. And now they want to get him convicted by the Roman government, which would mean a cruel, brutal death by crucifixion. So they bring Jesus to Pilate to begin what now we call a civil trial. It was Pilate's headquarters where they brought him. It was called the Praetorium. Some translations say that. Pilate's normal headquarters was in Caesarea, in the palace of Herod the Great, that he had built for himself. But because of the Passover feast, Pilate and around 3,000 soldiers would be in Jerusalem because of the mob that would be there to celebrate the feast. That's why they had all these, you know, that's why Pilate was there with the with many soldiers. It would be like New Year's Eve at Times Square where there would be more police than usual. You know, they're, they're fearful of a, a riot, of course. But in any case, the Jews now rushed Jesus into the governor's headquarters so they could manipulate Pilate with false accusations and get Jesus arraigned and convicted. It's amazing how clever the wicked are. Demonically clever. They went from a religious trial to a political trial. They changed their, their, their minds from a religious theological trial to a political or, or civil trial. How convenient. Luke 23, 2 tells us, and they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation. And forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar. And saying that he himself is a king. See, they were trying to get a rise out of Pilate. Sinful, evil, wicked, manipulative. They were Satan's pawns. I want to show you how hypocritical the Jewish leaders of Israel were at that time. Let's read verse 28 again. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would be, or they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. You see, they did not allow themselves to go into the governor's praetorium. The reason was they did not want to defile themselves. What would contaminate them by going into the governor's headquarters? What would contaminate them? Well, first of all, they were not allowed to enter a pagan residence. If they did, they would be brought into contamination. Or perhaps it was because they feared coming into contact with a dead body. The Jews believed that the Gentiles disposed of aborted and stillborn babies down their drains. So whether it was entering a pagan residence or coming into contact with a dead body, the Mishnah 
You know what the Mishnah is? It's the commentary on the Torah. It was also the oral law of the Jews. It said there, all the Gentiles' homes are unclean. So if they entered an unclean home, they were considered defiled and could not celebrate the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which lasted seven days. Now, these feasts meant a lot to the Jews back then. It really did. And they certainly did not want to be counted unworthy because they wanted to celebrate this Passover. But here's the problem. They were more concerned with eating the Passover than illegally killing the sinless Son of God. They were more concerned with eating the Passover than eating the flesh and blood of the final Passover lamb. Jesus said in John 6.53, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. You see, they needed to receive Jesus' cross work. Dr. Bruce Milney says in his commentary on John, Thus, they seek cleansing before God while plotting and scheming the destruction of God's beloved Son. In their zeal to eat the Passover lamb, they unwittingly help to fulfill its significance through demanding the death of the Lamb of God, at the same time shutting themselves out from its saving efficacy. <laughs> efficacy, excuse me. They honored God with their lips. But their hearts were far from him. They strained out a gnat, which was the smallest of the unclean insects, and they swallowed a camel. They were so concerned with eating the Passover lamb, but failed to recognize the final spotless lamb of God that was right before their eyes. Could they be that blind? Could they be? Yeah. The God of this age has blinded the minds of un. Believers. Their father was the devil, Jesus said. They were doing the works of their father. Jesus was accused of evil by hypocritical religious leaders with no convicting evidence. Verse 29 and 30 says, So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusations do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. In other words, Pilate was following the rules. He's saying, what charge? They had no charge. They had none. He was basically saying, Pilate, you need some substantial charge in order for me to convict him. But their answer proves they had none. Not one. They were phonies. It's like someone calling you a liar. And you ask them, well, tell me what lie I told. And they said, I don't know, you're just a liar. That's what basically they were saying. Anybody in their right mind would say that's absolutely ridiculous. But what's happening here? No evidence. Pilate, at this point, sounds very fed up. This is from verse 31. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. You see... Pilate knew there was no case against Jesus and knows they want him dead. He didn't want to get involved in their petty Jewish trial. One commentator said it was a political buck passing. You judge him. No, you judge him. Really? 
I only know of one judge that the scriptures talk about. That's God. And he's the one who judged his own son for the forgiveness of our depravity. And we see many times during the trial, Pilate trying to release Jesus, knowing full well Jesus did nothing to deserve death, but it was out of envy that they wanted him dead. And Pilate knew it. It was envy. It's jealousy. Jealousy of what? The nice little religious system. Nice intact religious system. People looked up to them. The people honored them. They felt proud as a peacock. Jesus came and was destroying that religious system that brought nothing but death and damnation. Listen, as guilty as, and spineless as Pilate was, who should have released Jesus, the Jews, and especially Caiaphas, were guilty of the greatest sin. Jesus said in John 19.11, he, he's speaking of the Jewish religious leaders, he who delivered over me over to you, Pilate, has the greatest sin. Little do they know that their insistence on Roman execution will serve God's purpose. Verse 32. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. And I can't stress enough that Jesus was not the victim here. Nor did man decide any of this. The betrayal, the trial, the crucifixion, it was pinpointed from God from all eternity. Nobody took Jesus' life. He was not the victim. And so many times we, we watch those movies and we people cry, oh, poor Jesus. But no, not poor Jesus. It's never poor Jesus. It's poor us. This was ordained by the will of Almighty God from all eternity. Luke tells us in Acts 4, verses 27 and 28, For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. God is sovereign. He predestined but he used sinful men. Doesn't mean they weren't responsible. They're still responsible, but God used them. God the Father planned Christ's death and type of death, crucifixion from all eternity. Do you ever think of why the Jews didn't stone Jesus? Do you ever think of that? I mean, that's what they did for blasphemy. Blasphemy was killed in Israel by stoning. Leviticus 24, 16. But whoever blessings the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him. Well, it may have been illegal at that time to execute anyone except by the Roman government. I'm not 100% sure. At least I'm not. Although they did stone Stephen, remember, in Acts? Which may have been a vigilante type of ex- execution, which the Romans winked at. But in any case... That was the prescribed execution for a blasphemer, stoned to death. But after he was executed, in the Old Testament, after the person was executed, they hung him on a tree. Deuteronomy 21-23. And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on a tree, but you shall bury him the same day, for a hanged man is cursed by God. 
What does this have to do with Jesus? You might ask. I'm glad you asked. The soul who sins shall die, Ezekiel tells us. Well, Jesus didn't sin, right? No, of course not. No, but we did. And we're cursed by God. So why does Jesus have to be hung on a tree? To take our curse. He took our curse. Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Well, how? By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. That should have been me. That should have been you. But Christ took our curse. He's the one who hung on the tree. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And that's why verse 32 tells us, this was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken, to show by what kind of death he was going to die. He wasn't going to die by being stoned to death. He was going to die by hanging on a tree to take our sins and to take our curse. Roman crucifixion, not stoning. Jesus predicted his death. God foreordained it, and that's why it happened. <clears throat> Truth may get you accused of evil from hypocritical religious people and also the world with no convicting evidence, but it will serve God's purpose in your life. Let me give you. An illustration by Dr. John Piper. On January 9th, 1985, a congressional pastor in Bulgaria named Christo was arrested and put in jail. His crime was preaching in his church, just like I am right now. It was a crime because the week before the village committee had appointed a new pastor. The secular committee who runs the village put a new pastor in, even though the congregational church doesn't recognize any pastors but the ones they elect and install. So he preached, and they clamped him in jail immediately. And he immediately began to share Christ and make the truth known while he was in prison. He had a trial. It was a mockery of justice, and he was sentenced to eight months. He did his eight months and got out and wrote these words. Both prisoners and jailers asked many questions, and we had more fruitful ministry there than we could have expected in, in church. God was better served by our presence in prison than if we had been free. There are a thousand stories like that in the world today. And there are more than a thousand from the centuries of church history. The lesson is simple. God uses persecution and suffering to spread the truth of Christ and bring blessing to the world. All of us who have served time in jail because of our involvement in the pro-life cause are glad we did and would say the same thing this pastor said. It was good for us and for those to whom we spoke in prison that we were there and we would do it again. You see, let me say it again. Truth may get you accused of evil from hypocritical religious people from the world with no convicting evidence but it will serve God's purpose in your life. Now I remember... I worked for DHL for many years. Many of you know that. I retired seven months ago. In the earlier days, maybe maybe about 20 years ago, I was I was working, and I, I was always speaking Christ to someone. 
And I would be ridiculed for them and mocked at times. And there was this one gentleman, Chuck, quiet man, stood by and listened to me. I didn't even know he was listening, to be, to be honest. I never knew he was listening. But he listened to them mock me, but he listened to what I was saying about Christ and him crucified on the cross. And I worked with another friend who was a pastor. And one day this pastor came in and said, John, you know something? Chuck was at my church. And he got up and he stood up and gave a testimony. And he said, now I know what John Verdi was talking about. Now, I didn't even know. It's amazing. See, when we're accused of evil, and there's no evidence, by the way, it serves God's purpose in your life. Point two. Truth puts your accusers on trial. Verse 33 to 35. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? First thing we need to notice here is how Pilate asked Jesus, are you king of the Jews? The pronoun you in all four gospels is emphasized. The Greek text literally reads, you, are you king of the Jews? The way the Jews were talking, Pilate probably expected some rebel. You a king? Are you kidding? It probably could have went that way. And Jesus answers with a question. Now, in a court of law, when the prosecuting attorney asks you a question, you don't answer with a question. Because if you do, the judge is going to say, just answer the question. But Jesus asked Pilate, do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say this to you about me? In other words, if Pilate was asking it from his own curiosity, his question was, are you a political king conspiring against Caesar? But if the question came because of what the high priest Caiaphas and the Jews said, then his question was, are you the messianic king of the Jews? Whatever way Pilate meant, by Jesus answering the question, now puts Pilate on trial. See, now Jesus is interrogating Pilate. It's amazing how utterly blind Pilate and the leaders of Israel are. They're thinking thinking that they were putting Jesus on trial when all the time they were on trial. Donald Carson says, Jesus, as it were, has become the interrogator. The prisoner has become the judge. Listen, the whole time Pilate and the Jewish leaders were on trial. As a matter of fact, unless one is born again, that person is on trial every time they hear the truth of God's word. John 3.18 says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe, believe is judged or condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. 
Even though Pilate and the Jewish leaders were really on trial, Christ in the meantime was working out his father's will for the redemption of souls. I have to stop. I have to say this. I I said this. Don't get bored of me saying this. You can't make this stuff up. No religion in the world. You can't make this up. I like what Dr. Kent Hughes says. He says, Jesus was not on trial. Pilate and the Sanhedrin were. Christ was holding court and rendering his judgment and making provisions for all who would come to him. You know, Pilate didn't sound too happy being questioned and being dragged into this religious battle. He hated the Jews to begin with, and the Jews hated him. So he lashes out, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? In other words, he really didn't care about Jesus. He really didn't care about his Messiahship, but was trying to get to the bottom of the betrayal and accusations brought about by the Jews. What have you done? Why are they accusing you? You know, Pilate wasn't stupid. He knew very well the Jews handed Jesus over to him because they were envious of him. After all, the people, as I said before, were flocking to him. He was interrupting their nice, comfortable religious system. That's what Jesus does. Doesn't he do that to us too? When we get a little too religious, he starts interrupting it. But in order for Pilate to convict Jesus, he needed something to convict him. What have you done? And Jesus answers. Let's go to verse 36 and 38. <clears throat> Jesus answered. My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom was of this world. My servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. Remember Peter, what did he do? Struck the high priest there, the servant of the high priest, cut his ear off. So what Jesus is saying here, he he would have never told Peter, stop, put your sword back and heal the man's ear. He would have said, fight for my, my release, but he didn't. But my kingdom is not of this world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are king. Jesus answered, you say that I am king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. To bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? Jesus is admitting kingship, but not like Caesar. He wasn't a a threat to Rome. He wasn't a threat to Pilate. Jesus' rule was not one of violence and war. Furthermore, as I said before, if Christ's kingdom was like worldly kingdoms, he would have had his servants fight and protect him. He wouldn't have surrendered so easily. And if you remember, many of the Jews tried to make Jesus king by force. Remember that? But he refused. You read that in John 6. And then you also read about his triumphal entry. They were hailing him as king. This must have confused Pilate because Jesus is admitting kingship, but not of this world. Pilate's saying, what are you talking about? So he asked him, so you are king. And Jesus said, you say that I am king. Now in verse 36, Jesus told Pilate what his kingdom is not. It's not of this world, Pilate. But now he tells Pilate what his kingdom is. His kingdom is built on truth. That's the purpose of the incarnation. 
That's why Jesus came into the world and dwelt among us. To bear witness to the truth. He himself is truth. Jesus said in John 14.6, I am the way and the truth and the life. Truth is not found in a statement. Truth is found in the person. The person of Jesus Christ. Jesus bears witness to the truth. Truth about God. Truth about mankind. Truth about sin. Truth about judgment. Truth about holiness. Truth about love. Truth about eternal life. And what a person does with that truth that Jesus proclaims determines their eternal destiny. Everyone who is of truth listens to my voice with the implication that whoever is not on the truth side does not listen to Jesus. And how does Pilate respond? What is truth? Now it's hard to believe, we don't really know what he meant by that, but it's hard to believe that he was asking Jesus with a genuine desire to know what truth is because he didn't wait for an answer. He went back outside. And I think we need to pause and to consider Christ's concern for Pilate. He was giving him hope. Dr. Bruce Milne says, In a world subject to unreality and illusion, Jesus offers the reality of a personal relationship with the only true God. A life in the truth which sets free. Jesus offers that to Pilate. He, he the imprisoned, offers the, his judge true freedom. How did he offer him free? Well, he's telling him, whoever's on the side of truth listens to my voice. Pilate, listen to my voice. Yeah. You want to hear truth, Pilate? Listen to me. What is truth? Is the question the world of skepticism asks. We live in a world which is called a postmodern world. Postmodernism is a philosophical term which is a way of thinking about culture, philosophy, art, etc. And one of the main beliefs of postmodernism is relativism, which says truth is relative to the individual. In other words, Christianity may be true for you, but it's not true for me. Josh McDowell in his book Evidence that demands a verdict says This is a misconception of relativism A central component of postmodernism It assumes that Christianity may be true for some people In some places at some times But it's not true for all people In all places and at all times It is relatively true And not absolutely or universally true in other words, what he's saying is, what, what people are saying in the postmodern world is, there are no absolutes. There is no absolute truth. What is truth? You define truth. That's what they're saying. I remember having, um, about 12 years ago, I was discussing Christianity with my nephew, whom my love, and we love each other. And we were getting into it, not really heated, but passionate. And he was refuting what I was saying about salvation. And, and by the end of the conversation, he said to me, well, whatever works for you, Uncle John. In other words, I think he was saying, well, it may be true for you, John, Uncle John, but it's not true for me. That's what he was basically saying. By the way, there are no absolutes to make a statement like that is a contradiction in terms. You know why? Because when someone says there is no absolute truth, they just made an absolute statement. In other words, the truth is, what they're saying is the truth is, there are no absolute truths. 
In Christianity Today, it quotes the Barna report saying, while an estimated 74% of Americans strongly agree that there is only one true God who is holy and perfect and who created the world and rules it today, an estimated 65% either strongly agree or somewhat agree with the, with the assertion that there is no such thing as absolute truth. And that's pretty sad. And that's very telling of why our country is in a moral decline. Listen, truth is objective. It's not subjective. Jesus didn't say, if you believe something with your whole heart, it's true. No, he gave us objective truth to believe. Even if our minds, minds tell us something contrary to that. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. He is the way and the truth and the life. No one goes to the Father except through Him. That's objective truth. Let me summarize point two for you in its application. When you speak the truth to your accusers, in reality, they are on trial. They have to answer the truth you are presenting to them. You, like Jesus, are bearing witness to the truth of Christ and His gospel. You are not bearing or testifying of what you feel. You're giving them the objective truth of what Christ said in the scriptures. And the final point, point three. Truth compels you to make a decision. Verse 39 to 40. Pilate says, But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out, no, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. See, Pilate was not a man of integrity. He says in one breath, in his verdict, I find no guilt in him. And instead of releasing Jesus, he wants to appease the Jews and probably feared right because they were foaming at the mouth for Jesus' death. So he gives them an option. Really, Pilate? You're giving them an option? You just said, I find no guilt in him, and now you're giving them an option? The option was a custom we really don't know much about, except what the Bible says. There's no extra biblical evidence for this Passover custom. The custom was to release one prisoner at Passover. Prisoner of their choice. Pilate mockingly asked them if they want to release the king of the Jews. Now we need to remember that five days earlier, they were hailing Jesus as the Messiah King. And Pilate remembered that. He, he knew that. He says, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? But the chief priests, they were manipulators. You know any manipulators? Husbands can do that sometimes, right? Manipulate their wives. and their Wives can manipulate too, right? No. No? no? My wife said no and Terry said no. So Brian, you and I are manipulators, is that it? I know nothing. <laughs> But the chief priests and the Jewish leaders manipulated the crowds to cry out for Christ's death. And so they call for Barabbas' release. Now Barabbas, it always, John only tells us he's a robber, but if you look at the other Gospels, he was a notorious prisoner. Both Mark and Luke's Gospel describe him as an insurrectionist and a murderer. He was a rebel. The Jews were so bent on killing Jesus... 
that they preferred re- releasing an unrighteous criminal instead of Jesus, the righteous one. Once again, you can't make this stuff up. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit. Pilate faced the truth, and that truth compelled him to make a decision. Who do you want? And when they said Jesus, he gave in to their cry. The nation of Israel faced the truth during Christ's earthly ministry and was compelled to make a decision also. Both Pilate and most of Israel chose to condemn Christ. Pilate out of fear, the Jews out of envy. But God used their wickedness for his sovereign purposes, the redemption of lost sinners. I'm eternally grateful for that. And when confronted with the gospel, we're compelled to make a decision. When I was around 13 years old, my father told me to be home at 8.30. The truth was, I needed to obey my father. God put him in my life to protect me, to care for me. He knew what was best for me. And I faced the truth of what he said, and I disobeyed it. I stayed out past my curfew. So now it's past my curfew, and I'm out with my friends, and we're playing around, and I struck my head, this pole, it was about this high, but it was very thick. It was like a a pole that was cut, it had big pieces of metal coming out, and I struck my head, it was blunt edges, so hard, I'm telling you, I just fell on the floor, my friends came around me, and I heard one of them say, that's a pretty big cut, and it it was, it was a thick, thick cut. I spilled my head open right over here. I was taken to the hospital. I remember the doctor saying that the cut was so thick he could have stuck his finger in it. They sewed up my my head back up with nine stitches. You see, my dad told me to come home at 8.30. The truth was, I was to come home 8.30, not 9.30. That was the truth. I faced the truth of what my father said and was compelled to make a decision. Do I obey or disobey? My decision was to disobey because I figured... I'm having fun. It'll be okay. But my decision had consequences that I still bear the scar today. Rejecting the truth of Christ's claims has far worse consequences than a cut on one's head. It's eternal damnation. For Pilate and the chief priests, their decision to crucify Christ cost them heaven and gave them hell. Anyone who rejects Jesus Christ, who is the truth, will have the same destiny as Pilate and the chief priest who cried for his death. Whenever we preach Christ to anyone, if you're a Christian here, and you're preaching Christ, they have to make a decision. Either yes, it's true, and receive Christ, or no, I don't believe it, and reject Christ. Your job is not to save anyone. Your job is to proclaim the good news. It's God's job to save. Jesus said, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. You cannot hear truth and not make a decision. It's, it's, it's impossible. Now I understand that someone can hear the truth, and the truth is like a seed, and it takes time to grow. 
but you receive the seed, you receive the seed of that truth, even if you don't fully understand it. But to be indecisive is actually rejection. Dr. John MacArthur says, it is not necessary to oppose Christ in order to be against him. It is only necessary not to be with him. You don't put truth on the back burner. When you hear truth, you make a decision. What about the Christian? Well, we have to face truth and are compelled to make a decision when we're faced with it. We faced the truth concerning our salvation and we received it. But we still face truth concerning our sanctification, our growth, don't we? Every time you open the word of God, every time you hear a sermon preached, you go to Bible study, you're faced with truth. What do you do with the truth? You obey it. You make a decision. You obey it. You're listening to Christ's voice. But if you disobey it, you're not listening to Christ's voice. And God has a way with his children to teach us to be on the side of truth. You know what it's called? Suffering. We learn obedience through suffering. And here's what truth compels us to decide. It's either Christ, the devil, the flesh, or the world. Listening to Christ's voice means you are on the side of truth. Let me conclude here. Jesus spoke and was accused. He spoke truth and he was accused of evil from the hypocritical religious and the world with no convicting evidence but it served God's eternal purpose. When you present the truth of the gospel, you too will be falsely accused. Make no mistake about it. That doesn't mean every time you speak to someone, because there are people that are sympathetic towards the gospel. God is drawing people. But for the most part, you're going to be falsely accused. But it will serve God's purpose in your life. When Jesus spoke and bore witness to the truth, his cues. His accusers were on trial. When you preach the gospel, your hearers are on trial, not you. They might be bombarding you with questions, but they're actually the ones on trial. When Pilate and the Jewish leaders were confronted with the truth of Christ, they were compelled to make a decision, and they rejected him. If we are an unbeliever or a believer and are confronted with truth, we also are compelled to make a decision. People will either love the truth or hate the truth. Sad to say, most hate the truth. And because most hate it, when you speak the truth of the gospel, persecution awaits you. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you for truth, Father. Thank you for what Jesus did. How Jesus stood for truth. Because he stood for truth, he was accused, he was tried, he was convicted, he was crucified. But on the third day he rose again from the dead. It was all in your eternal plan of redemption. And God, we are eternally grateful for that. God, help us to not only proclaim the truth to this lost and dying world, they need to hear the truth of the gospel. But also, when we're confronted with truth, not to be on the fence, but to accept it, obey it. And in obeying it, we know this great blessing. God, we need your grace for this. No man, no woman could ever, ever obey truth 
your truth unless we have your grace, unless we have your spirit to fill our hearts and minds. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.